February is flying by. We're in the middle of winter, and yet there's loads of cricket in the USA to discuss. With me, as usual, is Amit Patel. But it was a shame you missed out last week. I had a very insightful conversation with Pranav. Yeah, no, I, I hate to have missed it last week. I remember we were texting trying to get that thing going, but it seemed like my schedule was more jam-packed than then it was going to be time to get that pod in. So I was like, go ahead and do it. But I'm glad to be back this week. Enjoyed the pod with Pranav last week. Had some, was very insightful. And or also, we mentioned that the way you judge how sports are doing is when it's not going on in your market, are you talking about it? And right now, there's not much else to talk about other than cricket in February, Nate. So that's a pretty good sign. But yeah, and a lot of that's because of what we saw last week from Dane Pete down there in New Zealand playing for South Africa as their number one spinner. And man, did he put out a good performance. Oh, it was awesome to watch. We were both texting about it the whole time. I didn't quite stay up as late as you did, but I watched the entire Pfeiffer. I saw that live, which was great to see him come back. And I was just go get one more. Just go get one more. We were talking about, was it going to be, was it was going to be Southie. Who is it going to be the guy that throw the wicket away? And we ended up get, getting the fifth one. And you put another out there. I put another out there and congratulated him. And, I think there's a very few people that understand how difficult the decision was to come to the U.S., how much he risked to do that, and then basically doing that all over again to go play cricket back in South Africa. And to see him do that, to see his wife, to see Dax there was really cool. Like, we've got to see them up close in person a little bit. So I remember picking him up from the airport just earlier in January on his way back from South Africa talking about this tour and how excited he was. So to see this come to fruition is pretty darn cool. Yeah, he really did back himself on this tour when he got this chance to get back in the test team. And we've heard a lot. There's been a lot made out of this particular test team, how it's an example of incorrect priorities for a lot of people when they say that, you know, a lot of franchise players are, are leaving the, te- the the national team to go play franchise cricket and, and they're not prioritizing the, the South Africa side. When this is something you hear all over the place. And really it's a failure to me of, the national governing body would they have control over they have a decent amount of control over their own schedule and they have a control over when they slot that ILT 20 or they have some say in it I I would imagine or at least they have privy to the to be the first ones to know when it's going to happen so why can't they schedule something that that works out so that their best players can be available for this test yet with all that negative dialogue going on around this I always thought that Dane was going to show himself to be a, a true test cricketer, and he did. We've seen it, it even in the T20 game. He's got so many skills, and he's developed so many variations, and he is resilient, tough, and smart. And when you put those together, in a T20 format, it can get lost at times, but he still performed here in T20. So when he was going to play test cricket, I said, oh, there's no worries in my mind that he's going to take wickets. Like He was going to perform well. Because you don't have that kind of smart, those kind of wits, those kind of skills, and that kind of resilience that not be able to make an impact. And like you said, there's a whole hoopla made up about this team not really being a strong South African team, not with the A players. This list of quote-unquote B players that they brought over there were really a Kane Williamson masterclass away from winning this test match. That's the case, That's the fact of the matter. They were a Kane Williamson masterclass away from really tying the series up. Yeah, Kane Williamson really came through for them. I thought Dane was going to get him a couple of times there in the second innings. He got his wicket the first innings. But, you know, taking all three of the team's wickets in the second innings and five wickets in the first innings, it's not easy for a a spinner to take five wickets in the first innings of a test match away. He really showed his 
he really showed his guile and his intelligence too. And, and we saw a lot of leadership from him. When they mic'd the players a little bit, they're heading onto the field. It was we, We're used to seeing Dane Pete talking to his players, and we're used to hearing him say the same things that he said there. Believe in yourselves. So you got to believe in this. And he's a very good leader. He's made a reputation for himself here in the USA as a mentor, as a good mentor. And people will point out, oh, it's that don't stand. He's never leading the conference or the division in wickets, but backs his players as when he's the captain. And he understands uh, that there's a time for everything. And, and he understands that at, part of his job as the captain of the Morrisville Raptors is to make sure the young guys get experience. And he puts that he doesn't, they're not token players on his team. He's incredibly good at this. So we understand firsthand, up close, what he's good at and what he brings to the table. And he brings it so much more than just his bowling to the, to the table. But he really did bring a lot of bowling to the table this time. Oh, no, it was impressive. He turned the ball a long ways, using the drift, getting it to dip. And you mentioned the leadership. We saw it time and time again here in Morrisville. And when they released that soundbite, I just was smiling because I said, like, everyone who's watched minor cricket or cricket in Morrisville knows that this is just Dane being Dane, right? But everyone yeah. online saying, wow, what a moment for this guy. He just took a five. He's trying to reel in the troops, get him going. This is just Dane being Dane. And it's the beautiful part about Dane. Yeah, he's a great cricketer, but he's an even better leader. He's even better in that regard. It's great. Right. It's great to see him take the wickets, but it was not surprising to see him be that leader and be that wicket taker that he was. And, and I can't help but wonder what he would look like bowling with a full-strength side as part of a full-strength South Africa side. I think we're going to see him back in the team and with a few more experienced test bowlers around him as part of that attack. And so I, I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, as you mentioned before, there's been a lot made about Dane's return to the team, about his dominance when he did come back, his play. There's been articles written about this stuff, and a lot of it mentions that he spent the last three years in, quote-unquote, in America. And it mentions it in an abstract way because, of course, to the rest of the cricketing world, it's work of curiosity. But I don't think people realize what he went through, what he's gone through these last three years, what he's meant to the American cricket scene. This yeah. is a really big thing, especially locally, wherever he's been. I, I, let me just say locally, wherever he's gone, D.C. first, and then here in, in North Carolina. But he's been, a lot is made about whether or not minor league cricket has been a success, whether or not it's been the way it's been intended to be, whether or not the contract players who came over here have held, held up their end of the bargain as far as coaching and mentoring of youngsters. Now, the fact that they're playing with our domestics is good enough. That's that's justifies yeah. their being here enough, if you ask me, because it's raised the standard of cricket in the U.S. tremendously, just having these 60 or so players here the last three years. But one thing Dane's done is he's been like the shining example of how this minor league cricket system has been designed to work. He's been the mentor on the team. He's been the guy that instills confidence in the younger players and helps them get the most out of them. He's been a great talent scout here in North Carolina, too. We've seen him recognize talent here, and those players go on to do good things, of course. Yeah, but he just he can pick them out. He can pick out those players. No, he does. And again, you mentioned, yeah, he's not the guy who's killed it in the stats regard every single season. He hasn't been leading the Commerce and Wickets. But this past year from Morrisville, he was the guy that was like, oh, this is the guy. He got to get through his four overs, right? Otherwise, this match is going to be over. And you mentioned he is he's a great, not only is he a great scouter of talent, right? He's going to say, all right, yes or no to this guy. It's usually on the right side of that yes or no question. But he's going to give that person an opportunity 
to go out there and express themselves. He's going to keep define that role and have him express themselves. And you want to talk about a resurgence? Talk about Abidjan Bolasetti, who was halfway in between in 2021, right? We didn't really know what he was going to be. Didn't really feel like he made the team as a bowler or a bat. And Dane, he t- he says, Dane came up to me and said, hey, this is your role. You're a finisher on this team. Go in there and win this game hitting boundaries. And we saw an absolute resurgence in 2022. And it's led to him being part of the, the upper echelon of youth talent in the United States. So this is a guy who instills confidence. He's going to give you the tools to go out there and do what you need to do and then trust you to go and do them. Yeah, I see a future for him as a selector, to be honest. Because yeah. I think he's very good at recognizing talent. And good at instilling confidence in others, man. I'll tell you what. I was just—I've never—I don't think I've ever been that engrossed in a test match before. I don't think I've ever known anybody while they were in a test match. Yeah, <laughs> like being able to to shoot him a test, uh, a couple texts afterwards, and him reply. That was like, pretty special. Support. Yeah, yeah. It was—it's just like you said, seeing his family there supporting him. Just—it it was great to see our, a friend of ours get such good recognition that he's very well deserves and we look forward to having him back on the show too he was on our first couple episodes that's number one day Dade. you got to come back all right you can't go big time on us you got to get we know you, you you took another test fifer good for you best career figures but you got to come back on beta games man you just had a beginning so there's no better time than to come to the on beginnings come on man yeah absolutely like i said people don't and, and i'm not I haven't even i haven't even scratched the surface on a lot of the a lot of his benefit to the cricket community here. I haven't even really scratched the surface on it, and we'll get to that in time when we have him on the program again. So, yeah, let's move on now to the biggest news, I think, of the week. Since the Dane P test, the biggest bit of news we've got here is the MLC Overseas retained players list, and I have that here. I got to give a shout-out to It's Called Cricket here for making such great graphics about this. As always, they always do such a good job of this. But let's look at the players that were kept. And honestly, Alman, I'm a little bit surprised. Not very many players were kept except for a couple of the teams. Yeah, New York basically kept everyone intact. They let go of David Visa and Jason Berendorf. And now, obviously, this doesn't mean that the, these players are not allowed to get back onto the team. It's just that they are now up for grabs. You're welcome to renegotiate. Other teams now have a crack at them. Once you retain the guys, like, okay, you're ours. No one else can touch you. But as you mentioned, it was like MI New York kept most of that team. And the LA Knight Riders kept, even they, they lost, they gave up three of the five, giving up Lockie Ferguson, Riley Rousseau, and Martin Guptill. So they have some questions to be answered. I The biggest shock to me was really the Washington Freedom. I thought their side was really well balanced, but I think we know a couple guys that we're almost anticipating to come in to this team. Uh, a guy like Steve Smith, who was their brand ambassador this past season. No ashes in uh, the American summer, in the Australian summer there's the ashes, so He'll be available, and you have to imagine he's going to slot himself somewhere into this team. They let go of their captain. They were one of two teams to do it. The Unicorns also let go of their captain, only keeping Finn out and Hattestroff. So I think there's some interesting things going on with a lot of these teams. I'm curious to see what who they end up bringing back and what the who the new players are in terms of internationally they bring in. But I think there's a lot of questions to be had. Yeah, it is interesting. Like you said with Washington, the thing that surprised me the most was not seeing Glenn Phillips' name in there. He was just so good for them especially in the field he was he took two of the greatest catches i've ever seen in my life right in front of right in front of us while we were at the ground and at church street park two of the most amazing plays i've ever seen in in any sporting event it's a shame to not see him in the team i'm also like you said a little bit surprised that moises Sanriquez is not in the team 
and Andrik uh, Nordkit. Uh, those two, those three su surprised me. Now, we've mentioned Dane before, and with his moving to, or not moving, he didn't move, he still lives in Morrisville, North Carolina, but with his playing now for the South Africa test team internationally, that kind of takes him out of out of MLC domestic status. Do you see freedom making the space for him as an overseas player, at least uh, as a depth player, at least? I'm not sure if they make room for him as a player. I think Dane's value is tremendous, but I think with them bringing back Akil Hussein, I think that tells you where they're going to look in terms of their international spinner. It's going to be him, and I think they're going to look domestically for their other one. Um, I think what Dane could be brought back in is more of a, a coach. I think Moses and Riquez could have a similar situation being brought back, and I think they could be like player coaches or coaches of some sort. Because we talked about it, Dane is that kind of guy. But I'd be, I'd be curious to see if they were to be willing to use an international slot on him. Someone like maybe a Thunvir Sunga who did get an opportunity all, who all Major League Long, who was really just a replacement for Wanindu Hasaranga. Maybe they slide Dane Pete his spot there. I think something like that could work and go. But I'm not entirely sure what they're going to do with Dane Pete. Do you think you go... Do you think you go to two overseas spinners with this team? Do you go back to Hasaranga? and bring him in as basically as 1B uh, spinner for them with Akil Hussein and Hasaranga. That's pretty nasty. That's a pretty nasty combination. And you get a good bat there with Hasaranga, who, yeah, yeah, he hasn't really clicked in the IPL with the bat, but we know what he's capable of. Yeah, I think that they could absolutely go to spinners, and I think it's I think it's really going to depend on what they see domestically in terms of their spin options or what they think of Oculus Bodegum and how he's making progress getting the ball to go the other direction. I also do think you have to look at who are the guys they're going to bring in, right, in terms of the bats. We think Steve Smith is going to be a guy. David Warner is another one who has ties here. Uh, they could still easily bring back a guy like Andrik Norkia uh, to come and play. It's not like he, I think they could just be renegotiating what he's doing. You could see Glenn Phillips maybe come back. Matthew Short, that's a big BBL guy that they like a lot. So there's plenty of questions that they, they have to answer in terms of who their overseas are going to be. And I think that's kind of, I think you're going to see, basically, over the domestic period, I think the drafts are going to tell you a lot about their overseas plans. Is Okay, is Akilesh going to be the guy on that roster to bull spin? Are they going after spinners in the domestic area? Or is it all really paced and they're going to say, all right, we're going to go with two domestic pacers this season and try to get with another international spinner with one into us? They're very happy with Sorov's got a spot on that team. Sor Sorov's got a spot. Yeah, you have two lefties that are going to be able to bowl pretty much up top or one down or first change, but it's whoever you're going to put in as your third pacer. Or if you want more of an all-rounding third pacer, I'm I'm curious to see what they're going to do. Yeah, Sorab gives them so many options. They, because if you can have a front-line seamer, like a, a left-arm fast bowler or medium fast bowler in this case, you could have a front-line guy like Sorab that's a domestic. Yeah. It really opens the door quite a bit for the rest of that team. I think... He's such a linchpin. He's such a big part of this. And of course, we did. Uh, we also saw Justin Dill Dilla giving some good work too when he got his chance. So I think they're happy with that particular role and the depth that they have there. Yeah, but yeah, I was shocked. I was shocked to see they kept so few. Oh, L.A. Knight Riders and Orcas and New York kept the most players. You make it makes sense to keep the most when you're the New York team. When you're MI New York. Yeah. But I thought it was strange that not to see David Visa in here. I thought that was the one that surprised me for them. Now, with the Orcas, they kept Wayne Parnell, who I actually I wrote an article up for Emerging Cricket about 
Wayne, I talked to Wayne Parnell about how he feels about the team. Obviously, they kept on Heinrich Clausen, who was incredible. Quentin DeCock, Ahmad Wasim, who was fantastic. All the good people that they kept were big role players on that team. But not keeping Andrew Ty was a little bit of a shocker to me for them. But that doesn't mean they won't be on the team, as we mentioned before. To me, the biggest surprise, though, is Harold Kotsia, not sure. picked for the not retained by the Texas Super Kings. And this makes me worry because we won. I at least I want to see Major League Cricket stand on its own. I don't want to see players who were on one team one year who were fantastic role player. He was fantastic on that team. He was incredible. Yep. And now he's in the uh, Mumbai Indians organization in the IPL. Yeah, I really don't want to see that play playing a role in who plays where in Major League Cricket. I just don't want to see that happen, and that's what worries me in this case because he was too good to not be in Major League again, unless of course he has some obligations that that I don't know about. But he's too good to not be in Major League again, and so that tells me. Maybe what if he ends up with MI New York? I don't really like that idea of him being buried in MI New York's team just because he happens to play for them in the IPL. Now, once again, I'm speculating, but how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think it's an interesting conversation. Obviously, I think I can understand it from an organizational perspective that, hey, look, we're paying this guy a lot of money and you're seeing a lot more of these 12 month, eight month contracts that kind of span seasons for these franchises that have teams across leagues. So I can understand them wanting to protect their investment uh, and make basically say, look, we're paying you all this money. We want you in everything that we're a part of. I can absolutely see teams wanting to do that. But I also understand that from a major league perspective and an American sports perspective, you want some of that continuity, right? And you want the characters of these teams that were really good to still be there. It doesn't make sense for, you're not going to see the Chiefs go cut Patrick Mahomes because, oh, he has, he did a State Farm commercial and the State Farm had been doing stuff with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers for years. And now he's going to go play for the Packers. That's just not something that happens, right? I think, from that perspective of you want to build continuity and you want to build fans based off players that are going to be on teams over a consistent period of time, Jared Kotsia, you would have thought, would have been a part of the Texas Super Kings organization and Major League Cricket for a long period of time because he was fantastic, big energy. He was easy to root for. I think any person who comes out to watch a cricket match and sees Kotsia take a wicket, they're going to root for him because he's out there so much flair. The celebration's great. He's spectacular. So I can, I see it from both perspectives. I think I lean more towards the perspective of the USA fan because that's what I, that's what we are, right? We are USA cricket fans. We are fans of cricket in the United States and want to see that continuity that builds fan bases. But I can absolutely see it from an organizational perspective of, hey, this is our investment. We want to make do on our investment. And if we're going to pay him this much over the course of the year, we want him in every league we're going to play. Yeah, I just hate, I hate it. I actually hate it. I don't even dislike it. I hate that. I hate the idea that the franchise is making this decision for all of the leagues. You know, it's coming, putting itself ahead of the league itself. And of course, like I said, this is all speculation right now. Who knows? You might end up with Texas again. But I don't like the idea of franchises superseding the leagues themselves, you know, across different leagues. It's just, I don't really like that. So we'll see what happens with that spot. But to me, the. The fact that so many of the overseas players were not retained, a massive percentage of overseas players were not retained, that kind of, does does that tell you, because it, what it tells me is that I don't think we're going to have a lot of movement from the domestics. I don't think you, I think if you're going to, if you're going to 
cut a lot of the domestics, then you probably keep the, keep the overseas how they are and you work your domestics around that. But I think it just seems to me like, why would you cut, why would you not retain a lot of overseas and then not retain a lot of domestics? I think that's too many variables. I think the, the control in this situation is going to be more often than not the domestic players. No, I 100% agree. I think the control in this is your domestic players. I think obviously you're going to have teams, there's going to be new players that come available for the Orcas. You're going to have Mitch Marsh available this season, most likely to play a major league cricket. He was scheduled to play and then ended up getting picked for the Ashes and ended up going there. But he's, he should be available, barring something else, to play major league. So obviously maybe a guy like Dustin Sonica misses out because you can get a guy like Mitch Marsh in there. But I think the control has to be your domestics. And that's true of any competitions that your domestics are your base, right? The international players are your flair. They're your stars. They what can win you a couple games. Your domestics end up winning you tournaments. And when you think of a lot of these teams, you think of, okay, you have to keep a lot of the domestics now because you let go of all of these internationals. And you mentioned it. You don't want to have all these moving pieces of trying to make sure we sign the right internationals and make sure we sign the right domestics. You have to have at least one of the two basically set up to where a lot of these guys, who do we like in R11, and what do we need to fill out? So I think each team is going to assess that. And I don't expect too much movement on the domestic rosters. Now, obviously, there could always be a couple of moving pieces here and there. But I think it's, for the most part, going to be where this was almost about 30-70 on the retention rate. This is going to probably feel probably 70-30, maybe 80-20 on the retention rate in the domestic side of things. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. I think certainly some players will be gone. What interests me is speculating on who does come in if some players do leave. And also the concept of will there be trades? Because we have a couple of good, really good domestics buried in depth on some of these teams. Yeah. One in particular, Angelo Pereira from the Orcas, tremendous depth player right, right now. But is he going to get in above Harmeet Singh? That's not going to happen probably. But right. I, I can totally see him being good enough to be on one of these six teams as a domestic spinner that plays regularly. And I, I, I think that the Orcas would be smart to explore trading him to a team that really seems to need that. I, I think you could also say something like that for maybe Lahiru Melanta, who got buried in that Texas Super Kings uh, roster late the season, or a team like LAKR that really only had the one wicketkeeper, Jessica and Malhotra, right? Give yourself injury depth. Just give yourself depth to the wicketkeeper position because it was sure. going from Malhotra to Johns, who's kept wicket, but... I don't think they didn't really see him as a wicketkeeper. So he could go get, you know, someone like Lahiru Malanta, who I would argue as maybe some of the best gloves in the country, if not the best pair of gloves in the country. Might not be a bad idea from the left as well. So if there are trades, and I'd love to see trades and how that would work out, I think those are a couple of options that could be really interesting for teams. Yeah, if you're already starting an overseas keeper, then it makes sense that one of your overseas depth right. bots would be a keeper too. In the case of Washington, they have depth at the keeper position. Of course, they had Andres House at the keeper position, but last season they also had Phillips who could Gosh, keep. Yeah, or in Glenn Phillips who could keep as yeah. well. And so yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, that's a good move. Also, they got a lot of top order players in in Los Angeles. Like you said, they might be willing to trade one of them away or something. But sure. uh, but yeah, and then who comes in if some of these players come out? That, that's another interesting thing. I don't know if they're going to have a combine this year to determine who's next on the depth chart for Major League Cricket. Maybe they'll pay extra attention to the men's nationals, but those are happening probably just before 
the draft, I would imagine that would right. be the smart. That would be the smart thing. But we're told that the draft will probably happen in March. The men's nationals happens in March. March is going to be a busy time. But I would, <laughs> I, if I was major league cricket, I would hold the draft until after the men's nationals. Hopefully, those shake out to be a quality event. But yeah, who comes in? Players like Jamar Hamilton, Kareem Agor, Akershit Gomel, who had a who, who's been performing quite well. Hassan Khan from the Chicago Kingsmen was fantastic. Yeah. Stephen Wigg is another guy to keep an eye on. Like, he had a great USPL. He has always been good in minor league cricket. And you um, mentioned the pace bowlers, right? That's always for yourself. You can get a domestic frontline bowler or a third bowler. And again, from the left as well. Steven, I, I like Stephen Wigg in T20 cricket a lot. I think for New Jersey, he's played big. He's had his moments where he's been really good. I think he could be someone that was a next tier. Hey, this could be a pace bowler to look out for. Absolutely. Any other players uh, stand out to you? Yeah, we, we were talking about this earlier. We have guys like Raymond Rodrotten, who can be a younger guy who has a lot of athletic prowess, similar to Prima Gore. Ryan Scott, who's played for the U.S. team and big left-hand bat. We've seen him score plenty of runs. I like a guy like Janoy Drysdale a lot from the Philadelphians. I think he was he's really impressive with the lengthy bowls. Maybe just needs an extra yard of pace for the lengthy bowls, but I do what he brings. And I think Kyle Phillips is an interesting story. I think obviously got picked up. Then the whole uh, incident with the chucking when he went with the USA team and got left out by MI New York. Uh, would be interesting to see if someone takes a flyer on him, if he's rebuilt the action, or if a team's willing to work with him to rebuild the action. I think either way would be pretty interesting. And then I think the under-23 slot's really interesting because you have a couple guys aging out, right? It's, what does that mean? Does Every year do teams have to get under-23s, or is it if you have one on your roster, are you good? The guys aging out, guys like Bosco Yadrum for the LA Knight Riders. Akilish Bodegum for the Washington Freedom could open some spots up for some of these other guys. Oh, yeah, that's where we're definitely absolutely going to have some movement. And I think if you're I think if you're LA Knight Riders, I think that you keep Bosker Yadrum, you make room for him somehow. I think that he's good enough to do that. And I think that if you're Washington, you keep Akilish Bodegum and you make room for him somehow. That leaves who do you bring in? Who do those two teams bring in for their U23? And I think we got an interesting list. LA would have a guy like Ali Sheikh already in slot, right? If they could use him as their under 23. Yeah, you're right. They could just slide slot in. They could just swap places with Ali Sheikh and Bhaskar Yadram at this point, and then they'd be set. But then you still have Akilash Badagam. Who do you take if you're Washington and you've got to fill in Akilash Badagam's spot? Uh, I think there's a lot of good options. I think, again, I think a lot of it depends on who you're bringing back. But I think there's a couple of options that I like a lot. I think. A guy like Vatsul Vagela, just get another spinner in there from the left. Le- let him learn from Akil Hussain. He just takes wickets and, and just bunches wherever he goes. And, but I think the hottest name on the market is Josh Straub, right? The way he was just tearing it up in minor league cricket. I think he is a hot commodity. There's a, another wicket keeper that you have a young wicket keeper batter who can come in, you feel, in the you know, top five and come in and bat and play. I like Josh Trump a lot. I wouldn't be surprised to see him go with another spinner and try to get Butts of Aguila involved as well. Yeah, and and then there you go on, on the spinners. We have a good, a decent amount of depth on those. We got we also got Karthik Karthik Gatapelli down there in Houston, who's very good and puts up very similar numbers to Watsel. So I think that's something these teams should look at is the young spinners. Obviously, you mentioned Joshua Trump, who is the hottest name around right now for U twenty threes as far as that goes. But another good wicketkeeper batsman who's performed well for years in the USA is Rahul Jarawala, who yeah. continues to, to make a name for himself. He's sometimes hot and cold, 
But when he's hot, he's really hot. And obviously, then you have back to the spinners. You got Yasser Muhammad, uh, uh, Leggy. Um, How many Leggies in the competition? We didn't mention many Leggies. You talk about right. uh, Run Rotten, but Yasser Muhammad, he's played for the U.S. team consistently for a reason. They they like him as a Leggy. He's only getting better with the bat, and I think he's getting more and more consistent with the ball in hand. So I don't think it's a bad idea to say, hey, look, this is the up-and-coming leggy in the USA. Let's go scoop him up, keep him on the roster. Might not play this year, might not play next year. But if you can let him develop and then you have a premier domestic leg spinner, that's not a luxury a lot of teams have. Yeah, and he's a hard worker. He's a confident player. And he's good. He can bat. And he bats from the left, too. So I think I think that Yasser would be a great pick as well. And and back to the leggies that you mentioned, Cameron Steele. This he's not a U twenty three, but we might see his name in the domestic sure. draft. But he might have a, a harder time getting into the league because of his English situation. He you know because he yeah. plays in England, he plays county cricket, he plays you know all the leagues over there. And I don't think he wants to sacrifice that kind of security. You know, if he was a huge name, it'd be one thing. He could get away with it and go right back and play whenever he wants. But he's not a, a huge name like it, it, to that extent. But And then, of course, with the U-23s, back to the U-23s, Abraham Bolasetti, our, our buddy Abraham Bolasetti here in Morehead, sure. North Carolina, we thought he was probably the seventh or eighth name on the list last year. And there were only you know, six six and 23 is taken so we thought we thought he he was right there on the edge it depended on if they wanted a fastballer or not and he's got loads of potential for the future no i like obedram a lot i think he's developed himself with the bat i think he knows what he wants to do i think he's figured out his game and then with the ball in hand i think he's only getting better i think he's only going to get quicker only going to build variations i think he's got to get the consistency i think that's been the one thing that's plagued his mind on the career just a little bit inconsistent but i think what what's hard to come by are all rounding fast bowlers, and we saw that happen in the draft last year when we saw guys like Calvin Savage just fly off the board because it's hard to get those guys who bat and then bowl pace, and that just doesn't come. And Abidam is that rare breed where he doesn't just bat; he comes in and he blasts the ball around. I I, I think similar to Matthew Trump, I think it'd be a good future development uh, pickup. He would again, he would have played this year. Wouldn't be ready for that one years, two years, three years down the road. And he's very athletic in the field. I think he could be a real asset. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's part of that next tier of all-rounding fast bowlers. So that said, we'll talk more about this. I We're trying to do a live show this Wednesday. Hopefully we can get that going, and we'll talk in-depth about each of these teams and, sure. and what their options are, what we think they should do. And maybe they'll listen to us. Maybe they'll say, look, big innings are talking about. We're just going to follow their script exactly. Exactly. That would be the smart thing for them to do, I think. But on to the next topic, the ticket sales for the ICC T20 World Cup in New York, in Long Island, New York, and then in uh, Dallas and in Florida. They, they set up a lottery to, to help so that people could win the chance to buy these tickets because they're supposed to be scarce, especially the Pakistan, India. The, that's the one they're really worried about. Nobody seems to be winning these lotteries. <laughs> online at, at all so this is is this the icc dropping the ball again is this our last world cup the 50 overs the one day world cup where we had opening day and the the place was maybe halfway full probably a third of the way full and a lot of it was because india wasn't playing there but a lot of it was also because that they messed up the tickets they fully messed up the tickets and a lot of that's been blamed on BCCI, but here the ICC doesn't seem to be doing such a good job either as far as these tickets are going. 
Yeah, I think it's an interesting question of why. What seems to be the holdup? I think part of it probably has to do with just the just not knowing what the stadium is going to be like, right? We have a great team on it and great team building it, but you don't want to overpromise and underdeliver, right? You don't want to be like Firefest. So you're trying yeah. to just gatekeep it a little bit and maybe push things out a little bit later, which I don't think is the worst thing in the world. Uh, I think people are going to go to these games whenever those tickets go out. Obviously, flight, right? like booking flights and booking hotels are a big thing and trying to find places to stay. And it's all hard to do last minute. I think I'd rather, you know, I think if you're the ICC, you'd rather make people do this last minute and have everything work out than try to overpromise something and then not have any of those things that you promised. And now you're basically just scrambling around, right? And that Firefest joke feels really dated because that was probably sophomore year of high school for me. And now I'm about to graduate college. So that feels really old. So if you know that, then great. But I don't know. I, I just, I can understand the frustration for sure because it'd be nice to like get some of these assured tickets in there and be like, hey, I'm going to the World Cup. But I can also understand, hey, you don't want to overdo it and then not have the resources to to back it up. Yeah, I don't know, man. It just feels weird that they would they would do it this way, that they would like sure. make the promises they've made in the first place as far as, you know, sure. you would think you would be hearing about this to some degree. Of course, people are already putting in speculative placeholders on ticket resale sites like where right. they're saying that they're going to charge 2400 bucks for two tickets to the india pakistan game it just feels like they they're just gonna mess this all up just like they have in the past and that's really depressing if it gets to a point where tickets for these things are that astronomical what's the point of having it in the usa in the first place what's right. what's the point you're supposed to be reaching out to new fans aren't you isn't that the, one of the points it seems like the yeah. point is more to just uh maximize profits off the Indian diaspora here. Yeah. That seems to be... Yeah, no, it, it should be going to new fans. That, that should be what you're looking to do. My, I had this conversation with somebody the other day, and I said, the reason you hold a World Cup in a country is not because you're saying wherever, the con- wherever that World Cup is, we're not going to try to factor in that country's viewership. If you're holding a World Cup in that country, you're holding the World Cup for that country, right? It's on that country's time, and... That sucks for a lot of the cricketing world because the U.S. is backwards for a lot of the cricketing world. But if you've decided that's where you're going to hold the World Cup, that's where you're going to hold the World Cup, and that's how the timing should be with the World Cup. That's just the way I feel about it. I don't think you should just say, hey, we're going to hold the World Cup here to say, hey, we're going to hold the World Cup here, and then just say, okay, we're going to time it so everyone in another country is going to be able to watch these games and the people that are could be there live at venues are going to be there. So I think if you're going to hold the World Cup in a country – you should plan around that country's schedule and that country's viewership population and try to maximize viewership in that country, wherever that country is. It could be USA, India, Australia, South Africa. You've got wherever you're playing the World Cup, wherever you play it, it should be catered to that country's viewership population and making sure that in that country it's accessible. And if that's not the goal of the World Cup, it should be, all right, where are we making money and just hold the World Cup there every time if that's what you want to do. Yeah, and honestly, the people who watch cricket in the USA, mostly South Asian diaspora, and that's fine. But you're not being fair to them. There there are cricket fans here in the USA who want to go to these games, and you're making them pay a, probably a fortune to go to the game. Not only that, you're making them sit in lots and lots of traffic in Long Island. Hopefully this is communicated to people ahead of time that this is going to be a very, this is going to be a very stressful day of traffic. And then... Not only that, but they're going to have to do this at 10 a.m. or 
bad times exactly. for them. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's the biggest thing. It's just the timings of these are just not great. And again, if you, uh, that's just been my whole thing. If you're gonna hold a World Cup, you hold it on that country's timeline. Yeah, it's simple. It's simple. But now they're saying like no tickets are are available, and and I don't know a single person who's won. I don't know of. I haven't seen a single person on Twitter say, "Hey, I won the sweepstakes. I won the lottery yeah. here to be able to buy the tickets. How come there's no tickets available?" If nobody's winning these sweepstakes, where is that? Where are those tickets going to? Did they just seriously mess up? Are they just going to send them off to third-party resellers? I don't know what they're going to do here, but it, it's making me feel like the people of the Bronx made the right choice by chasing them away, because they weren't going to save those tickets for people in the Bronx who were miss who who were going to be hung out to dry because there's their public park was going to be unusable for the entire summer, and then before and then after the summer. If they were going to make that deal and say, hey, look, we're giving the people of the Bronx first crack and it's, yes, we're using your public facility, so we're going to give you free tickets, then then go ahead. But they clearly weren't going to do that. And they're clearly not doing that, anything like that now for the people of Long Island. You know what? The people of the Bronx made the right decision to protest that and keep it away from them as far as I'm, as far as I can see it. And because ICC seems to be dropping the ball with this again and it's hard to tell even what the heck's going on with the tickets it's hard to even understand what the heck when the world is happening but that's it's another frustration with cricket that we have <laughs> that nothing can ever seem to be run well unfortunately we just need to put we need to just put uh justin in charge of everything i think justin might pull all his hair out but he'd do a darn good job of doing it because that man knows what he's doing but there's, there's plenty of Really good people in the ICC trying to wrap their brains around this. It's an unprecedented thing, putting World Cup in the USA. But it does get frustrating. There's no way around it not being frustrating. And that's just the way that we're going to feel about it. And hopefully by the time the World Cup comes, it's all good and dandy. Everyone's got the tickets and it's not at an unreasonable price. But hopefully when that comes, hopefully the World Cup's great and we have plenty of cricket in the summer to look forward to. Yeah, let's see how that goes. But that brings us to another point here, the summary of the American players in the ILT-20. Now, the ILT-20, there was a lot of controversy about it, flying in players just before the qualifiers. How much of that do you really want to see in your favorite cricket league, uh, whatever it may be? I don't really want to see Major League Cricket go a full season and then all of a sudden fly a bunch of new faces in for the qualifiers. I, I don't really want to see that sort of thing happening. Shipping players from one league as soon as it finishes to the next doesn't feel special. It 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 feels like it it just bastardizes the whole thing, and it just makes it convoluted. Especially when you don't find out that the players are are in the team until the game's starting. Yes. This this sort of nonsense is something that I really hope Major League Cricket can can avoid, and I think they're going to try to avoid that. At least the people that I know that work in Major League Cricket, Justin, I think they see that as a big problem. But man, I. It's just stupid to me. It's so bad. And also, you've got MI has a team that, that's playing in, in the SAT20. And at the same time, they have a team that's playing in ILT20. It just feels it just feels like junk, really, to, to be honest. But we didn't get a lot of action from our Americans that were overseas in the ILT20 this year. Of course, we got DeAndre's house. I think he played about four innings. Corey Anderson played a couple. Nosh didn't get any games. But his team won the championship once again. So congratulations. Hopefully we'll have him on the show. I texted him recently and he said that he'd love to come on. So we'll get Nosh on the show soon. We can ask him all about his experiences there, how well that's working out for him. 
he seems to be having a great time and hopefully he's getting paid. <laughs> yeah. No, it's good for Nosh. He's getting good exposure. The Instagram loves him because how can how could you not? As a media like person, when I was around the USA cricket team, Nosh was the best person to be around because he, he's just willing to give you an answer and he points a gem of a human being. But back to your point about kind of these flying in players and whatnot, there's got to be a, a number of a minimum number of games you have to have played to have qual- to qualify for playoffs. So I think that was the easiest way to put it in there. Is, hey, you have to play four regular season games to qualify for one of these knockouts. You don't or you play four. To, or you just have to be in the roster four games before the playoffs. Yeah, what, yeah. however it goes, you just have to be in the roster for four games. Or however the process is, you have to be in the ga- in the roster for a certain number of games. Probably four is a good amount. And that way it's, okay, you either... And now what it does is it doesn't allow teams to sit there and play whoever they want to, kick them out of the roster to make space for the guy that's coming from another league or it's you keep that guy on the roster who's coming from another league and you don't get to play the guy who you just put in there to kick out late. So you basically yeah. have to choose now versus later. You make those decisions and it's not a perfect decision because a lot of teams could decide, Hey, I, Marco Janssen is going to come just throwing out a name. Marco Janssen is going to come to the IOT 20 after the SAT, after the SA 20, we're just going to wait and save his spot. He's going to sit there. And we're going to get rid of our local. And that's not the way you want it to go. But I think making teams basically decide who they, to basically say, we look, you need this guy in the roster for four games. I think that's probably your best way of making sure they just don't fly players for qualifiers. And we saw a little bit of this kind of nonsense in the Major League 2023, to be honest. The MI New York team, pretty opaque, sure. opaque with their decisions. They didn't even bother telling Kyle Phillip that he wasn't coming. <laughs> he just didn't come. And then they and then they spend this long break between their first and second games trying to find a player to, to, to basically replace him, a domestic player to replace him in the roster. And then they fly Slade in from South Africa because they want to try him at the top of the order. But all this stuff happened, and it's not so terrible that it happened as much as it is that nobody knew about it until it was on the field. Right. Nobody's making these, no, nobody's releasing this to the press. Nobody's making announcements about roster changes. I think the teams should have an obligation to do that, to make media announcements about their roster changes. You bring, you come into a tournament with a roster. It shouldn't be that hard to notify the media every single time you change that roster. Now, I'm not talking about changing your playing 11 or whatever. I'm talking about making a change to the players you're paying to be there. And, and giving an announcement to the press every single time that happens. Why does every other league in the USA have the ability to do this? You know, like Major League Baseball, this happens. Anytime a player's sent down, anytime a player's cut, anytime a free agent is signed, MLB, NFL, NHL, NBA. Right. These are things that people talk about. These are ways to keep your team in the news. These are ways to keep your league in the news. And so make these announcements, announce them ahead of time, make it look like you know what you're, you're doing and that the league actually has rules that people have to follow instead of what it seems like now is we've got the Wild West with the with some of these IPL teams just doing what they want when they want to do it. And if you find out about it, fine. But if you don't, <laughs> they're not going to tell you. So <laughs> that's the sort of thing to me that that are a lot of professional sports, not just ours, a lot of professional sports have had right for decades. And franchise cricket, international cricket in general operates as if it's the late 1800s. 
with this stuff. Honest to God. It's just, sure. yeah, it's a cricket, in a, and especially in the USA, cricket is weekend tournaments. Cricket is trophy tournaments. Cricket is the way that baseball used to be played before they actually professionalized baseball. Yeah, it's, you would love to see more transparency from teams. And I think that's going to continue to come. I think having cricket in the United States, I think, is going to start to do that for cricket, to be quite honest with you, because I think our sports market, for you to be a big sport here, we have to know transactions. We have to know when those transactions take place. Like, I knew this morning at 8 a.m. that the Nets had fired their head coach. At 8 a.m., someone came into my sports show at UNC and said, hey, have you seen what the Nets just did? That, that's the American sports psyche. They want, you want to know everything about every team at the second it happens. Yeah. People who made a whole career dropping news. Think about Ian Rappaport. Think about the Woj bomb, right? Yeah, Sham yeah. Serrania, who's making a name for himself now. All of these guys have made a name for themselves breaking news about deals that are done. So that is the American sports psyche. That is the way American sports run. And I think... As cricket continues to get played in the USA, I think you're going to see more of that. Me and you are definitely going to be a part of that, I have to imagine. And there's plenty of us, plenty of guys like us trying to break news. I bet Peter Delapena has been doing that for a long time, and he's right. going to be the last one. So I think the more we see cricket start to infuse itself in the culture of American sports, the more we're going to see that kind of leak over. And I think it's going to be a good thing for the sport because it keeps you talking about it in places where they might not be talking about cricket unless the season's going. Yeah, and it sucks. When you try to write about something, I know this firsthand, when you try to write about something, a team or, or league or whatever, the USA team, MLC, and nobody gives you a heads up about what the news is going to be, and it breaks somewhere, and you're, you now you're scrambling to try to find an angle to make your story relevant, and that takes time, but it's tiresome. It, you got to get creative because now somebody else beat you to it because nobody ever bothered to tell you about it. And so that's very frustrating, I got to say. But we'll see. Hopefully they can get these things together. I think it's going to take more staff than they want to than they want to put at it and they want to put into it and more investment than they want to put into it. And all this stuff, you need investment for it to be quality. And that's where I think we're lacking right now because the people that I know that deal with that work in this are good people. They're just not enough of them. Okay, we got the Major League Domestic Draft coming up in March. We've got the USA National Championship, the Men's National Championships for T20 coming up in March. So we'll keep you posted on that. We did hear when the Cricket World Cup League 2 schedule was announced, there was a column for T20 games. And USA had four games in in that column against UAE and Canada in May. Now, USA have made no announcements of these games, but we've been speculating that they need to. <laughs> they absolutely need to play warm-up games ahead of the World Cup. It's common sense. They've played fewer T20 internationals than any other team in the World Cup in this last cycle by a lot. And so it looks like they're going to play Canada and, and UAE leading up to this. I've messaged a couple people. I'm waiting to hear back from the Canadians <laughs> to, to confirm this uh, because USA hasn't made any mention of it. But you know, it just goes back to the conversation, right? Like we need to know these things basically as they happen, as they drop. And look, I've... I'm just glad that I see a T20 schedule or not. Whether the USA has confirmed the news or not, there's a T20 schedule somewhere, and that is good news for any American cricket fan leading up to this World Cup. I I think in the past couple of times that we've seen things, we've seen things break, and then USA two or three days later will come up with a statement, 
And I think that's what's going to fall. I think we're going to see this break. And we're going to see a couple of days later, we're going to see get a statement from USA Cricket saying, hey, this is the case, the situation, kind of confirming it. But they take their two or three days, which they're entitled to do. And so they're going to do that. They're going to check every dot every I and cross every T, get through their processes. And I'm just so grateful that I see a T20 on the schedule because, <laughs> man, do, do we need one. And it's it looks like it's going to be around May. I, if I remember correctly, I thought it was around May. So that's great because at that point, the men's national championships would have been done. You would have basically picked your team by that point, And then, boom. All right, let's see what they can do together before the World Cup. That's perfect. I would like probably eight series of that, but I'll take what we can get in this. Yeah, man, Amin, we got to find a way to get down there to that that first World Cup game, USA versus Canada. Got to find a way to get down there. 100%. (laughs) All right, thanks for joining us, everybody. This was a fun chat. We love getting into the MLC stuff. It's just it's so exciting. But thanks for listening and stay tuned for the future episodes. Come find me, bring me to the-